Welcome to Simply Why, a podcast about money and purpose, where we pull back the curtain on running a financial advisory business focused on providing intentional advice to couples and families. I'm Dennis Morton. And I'm Katie Brown. Welcome back, and thanks for tuning in. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk about investment philosophy. So Katie, we hosted our first ever masterclass. We had uh, Eric Stein from East Bay, our outsourced chief investment strategist, and we hosted a group of clients virtually to talk about our investment philosophy. Mm -hmm. Why do we need investment philosophy? I think everybody needs an investment philosophy, a philosophy to guide them around how they think about money, how they think about investing and, and how it shows up for them and their families. Right. When we talk about investing philosophy, this is one where I, I look at a lot of things of what not to do, like growing up in the brokerage in- industry in the mid 2000s. And you would look at statements. You can see it sometimes. You'd open it up and it's a handful of stocks over here, a bunch of mutual funds over there, some structured products or all, all this miscellaneous stuff. Mm-hmm. And the thing that bothered me way back then and still bothers me to this day, because those statements are still out there. Mm-hmm. is none of it makes sense. If you said, tell me what this is all about or what, what this philosophy is, there is no philosophy. There's no thinking. It's just a bunch of stuff that's accumulated and we'll see if we get returns. From yes. It. Or I think sometimes it's thinking about the wrong things. I think oftentimes things make it into a portfolio because the the manager performed well previously. You know, yes. gets all the headlines, great manager. And then the philosophy might be around, okay, well, if they underperform three quarters in a row, then we're going to get rid of it. Yes. Like like oh. this sort of like rules-based but misplaced. It, it jumps down to the granular without starting at the top broad level, where I think it really needs to start philosophically. Yeah. I almost think of an investment philosophy. It's like a fortress, right? It keeps, mm-hmm. it keeps bad ideas out and good ideas in. Mm-hmm. And I, I was thinking back to this scenario and it was an mid to late 2000s at some point, you know, there's all these different curses that exist, like the Sports Illustrated cover curse. And there's been some famous headlines that pop up. And the it's Bambino? Like, the, yeah. <laughs> so, it's one of the only ones I can pull out. Right, right. That's your sports reference that, for the day. That's what right, you're there, getting. There you go. There was one, and I can't remember which publication it was. It might have been Fortune Magazine or Forbes or some, some um, you know, financial publication. And it had a cover picture of a guy named Ken Hebner, who was managing a mutual fund that was just beating the world, right? And, and the, the headline was something to the effect of the best money manager in the world. And I remember getting calls from clients like, hey, why don't we get into this fund? It's the best fund manager in the world. Well, it turns out it had a highly concentrated position in Russian stocks, which hard to believe that that would be the case now. But in the 2000s, Russian stock market was doing pretty well. And it was just loaded up with Russian stocks and the thing blew up like the next year. So I guess the moral of this story is if I have an investment philosophy and I see something on the cover of a magazine that might be a temptation, does it fit into how I would evaluate an investment? Is it consistent with my belief on what works in the long term? And chasing performance does not work in the long term. So I always think of the media and the financial industry are, are going to be peppering your walls with ideas all the time and news and temptations, but your investment philosophy should be a, a fortress against that. Yes. The, the filter yeah. that yeah. that takes that stuff out or, or even the magnet to attract the things that may make sense for you, but instantly repel the things that, that don't make sense. Yeah. It's like, how does something get into your portfolio? How do ideas get there? What products do you use? All, all of those things. 
I do think that there's there are philosophies that apply to the money managers, which can be far more granular than yeah. philosophies that may apply to advisors like us. Right. And ours is likely more granular than philosophies that may apply to families. You know, you and I have mm -hmm. always been very consistent on controlling the things that we can control. Mm -hmm. The markets are fickle. They don't make sense. We've had plenty of instances uh, in recent years where they're confusing. But if we look at the things that we can control, like diversification, mm -hmm. cost, behavior, those are the things that we can influence positively. And if we do those well enough, then we believe that good outcomes in the context of a financial plan, you can stack the odds in your favor, so to speak. I'm going to add risk to that too. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the example of the, the, the Russian securities, great. You yeah. may be able to, to pull some great return out of there, but what is the risk that you're taking? And you have to understand how that shows up or where that shows up. Yeah. No kidding. That applies to... Um, to income investing too. I mean, how many yes. times, how many times have you heard, "Hey, this is paying a safe seven or eight <laughs> percent"? We're starting to see interest rates are up higher now, but for the vast majority of the last fifteen years, there was no such thing as a safe seven or eight percent. If you were to crack that thing open, you might not like what's inside of it. You know, you're getting it somehow, and it's, it might be unsavory, right? Yes. Or what are you giving up to get it? Yes. I think. Oh yeah, that's that's true. Liquidity. Yeah. Yeah. Access. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are some things when you think about our investment philosophy, what are the deepest held principles that you have? Honestly, I, I think it starts with a solid plan and then you figure out how the investments help support that plan or what you need the investments to do to help support that plan. But I, I think it has to start with your goals and your plans and a firm understanding of the, the breadth of your financial world before you get into, okay, now what does my money need to do to support that? Yeah. That's, it comes back to that idea of enough. Mm. One of the hardest things to figure out is when do I have enough? Mm -hmm. And if you do have enough, that could influence your investment philosophy. You have two choices. I think mm -hmm. if you go through the financial planning process and Katie Brown tells you, you have enough to make it through <laughs> retirement. If you do all of these things and you have your, your action steps, you have a couple of choices there. You could be maybe more aggressive in your investing philosophy and be okay with the ups and downs, or you could be more conservative and be okay maybe leaving some returns on the table and not chasing after things. So I think the investment philosophy, you're right, has to be rooted in the plan and the idea of, I have enough, now I can decide to do this with my money, knowing what you're giving up and what you're getting. Yes. I think that helps to assign the purpose of your mm -hmm. money. Right. The planning process. Beyond that, though, there's a certain discipline that goes along with that, too, that discipline to keep that focus on the plan and to say, I don't need to chase that shiny object. I am just fine where I'm at. I don't have to take on extra risk or I'm just fine where I'm at. I have enough money in the bank. I can invest the rest. You need to be comfortable with where you're at to say, I'm not going to do these other things. What in your past most influenced your investment philosophy, either personally or, or just in your professional experience? I think there are a couple of things that have influenced how I think about my personal investing philosophy. Um, just in this conversation, it's pretty evident how I think about investing. 
I think that it's the diversified path, it's the low cost path, it's understanding the risk, it's it's not feeling like I have to reach for the best returns. It's the slow and steady path, I'm, I'm going to say. It compounds, and, and I know that it's going to compound, and I think it's, I have confidence in that, but I think that understanding the, the process really started through two different paths in my life. One, you know, you learn so much from when you're younger. And, and so constantly the, the, the conversation of save for the future and plan for the future, those were like, we didn't talk about money a, a ton in my childhood, but there was always an element of when you make money, you save some money and you plan for something ahead of you. And so that was always ingrained. And then honestly, I think in this career, very early on, my first introduction was really on the financial planning side, not the investing side. And so to put the money in the context of the plan from day one in my professional life has really influenced how I think about investing going forward and, and my philosophies around it. How about you? Where, do, where does your investment philosophy come from? Mine comes from thinking I needed to catch up. So our, our career paths were a little bit different in that I didn't enter the finance world until my late twenties. And by then I was hired into a brokerage firm and I thought I had to catch up on knowledge and really for other people who'd been in the business longer than I had, that I had something I was kind of chasing to ramp up my skill set. And I remember there was a broker in the office next to me, and this is 2005, 2006. Mm -hmm. And he had his clients all in treasuries, very safe, low yielding treasuries. And mm -hmm. he would pound the table saying the crash is coming. The crash is coming. He coached all his clients that the crash is coming. The crash is coming. And the market, stock market was doing well. The real estate market was doing well. There were a lot of things that were making people money. And his clients were sitting in treasuries. And I remember at some point, probably around the 2006-07 timeframe, the branch manager came to him and said, you need to move your clients out of treasuries. Yeah. Because a stop clock is, is right twice a day, but you, you need to get them more diversified. He diversified, and I swear it was within months the market cratered he had missed all the upside before and then caught the downside and what i took away from that is don't time it yeah. you can't time it you could be right 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 but if you miss it and you get the timing wrong but they say being early and being wrong are indistinguishable and i took that so anytime i hear someone talking about timing the market as part of their investment philosophy i push back hard on that and I think it's been really important. So when somebody says, is now the right time to invest? Yes. Let's talk about what to invest in, mm -hmm. in the context of your plan. But timing is never the answer. Yes. I, I love that you share that because I, I think we, every advisor has that experience somewhere and every person has heard a story from somebody about the timing, whether they timed it perfectly or they didn't. Mm -hmm. And and just for a warning, anytime somebody times something perfectly, there are probably 10 other things that they did not time perfectly that you they are just not sharing. <laughs> yes. Because what it does is if you, okay, I, I bought, I sold it exactly the right time. Yeah. Well, you want the next decision you have to make when you're going to get back in. Yeah. It, it creates another decision, another decision, and you can't do that. So that's why the markets are, are, it's hard to beat. It's hard to time everything else. I think if I had to sum it, sum it up in just kind of how I think about my investment philosophy, it's anti-heroic. <laughs> you know? It, no, I like that though. I, I like that because that, that does give a sense of steadiness 
and mm-hmm. calm instead. When you think about heroism, it's a crazy feat of something being accomplished or something happening or a disaster, yes. <laughs> you know, just saved. And one of the reasons why we talk out loud about our investment philosophy and why we wanted to have this conversation is because our clients should understand that we're not swooping in with the expectation that we're going to solve for everything and have all the answers, nor will they. We're all mortal. And we're coming to the table saying, if we're not going to be heroic here, what can we be? We can be disciplined. We can be diversified. We can manage cost, all, all of those things. And I think that's hopefully disarming for the conversation and sets the right expectations. I hope this is helpful for everybody listening. I hope it permissions them as well. And, and people feel as if like, oh, okay, I can take a steady path here. I don't have to do all the things. I think that would be one of my big goals from this conversation today too, is to let people know that there is a less stressful, simplified path that can be taken. I think if I could tie it up with one, with one question, this will be our our final cultural reference of the day. Uh Um, And one of my favorite all time movies, Indiana Jones and the last crusade at the end, before he goes through the, uh, the tests to get to the Holy grail, He's asked a simple question. It's time to ask yourself what you believe. And I think at the end of a planning conversation, when we start, when we pivot to investing, that's an important question to ask clients. What do you believe? And we can help you work through the answer of this is what I believe about investing. This is what I believe and and build that fortress that'll help you to be a good investor through all the ups and downs of the markets. So as you were saying, Indiana Jones and Last Crusade, I was thinking Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And I'm like, I don't remember. No, no, that was was in there. But my favorite line from the Temple of Doom is, hold on to your potatoes. Because he's he's driving the little rickshaw, which doesn't fit into this conversation at all. There were zero investing (laughs) lessons in Temple of Doom, unfortunately. (laughs) I say that to my kids all the time. We're driving. I'm like, hold on to your potatoes. Yeah, we'll we'll get into other Harrison Ford trilogies later. But, But for now, we'll just stick with Indy. Well, thanks for joining us for this investment philosophy conversation. In these podcasts, we talk about why this one's about how we think uh, to hopefully help you become a better planner, a better investor. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Simply Why, a podcast about money and purpose. We hope you enjoy getting to know us, how we approach leading a financial advisory practice, and the work we do every day to help families and couples make important financial decisions. Morton Brown Family Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This podcast is designed for educational and informational purposes and not intended as investment advice. More information can be found at www.mortonbrownfw.com.